0: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I finished reading Uma Aberdeen's book. Believe me, it wasn't hard. I I don't even want to tell her that she made me stay up till 145 the other night. To finish, and I had, I had started reading it, and then I kept reading, reading, reading. You can't stop. You can't put down both, and a life in many worlds, whom is brand new book, and it's her memoir, and not only is it about a time that seems forever ago, but seems so important to us, almost twenty years, maybe more public service with Hillary Clinton. The book talks about whom is family and what it was like to grow up with a foot in many different worlds. It talks about her time as chief of staff at the Department of State. It talks about her marriage, her relationship to former Congressman Anthony Weiner, about her kid. But no matter what it talks about, you finish this book with a sense of possibility. Of hope and how important no matter what your situation is in life never give up go through it make it work for you and try to understand without knocking yourself down and I thought it was a brave incredible and certainly time consuming thing to do to write a memoir like this and I know that you probably locked yourself up for months at a time. I don't know how you did it.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, Joan, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. And thank you for everything you said about my memoir, my my, my story, my journey. I loved writing about it. Uh, actually writing it in therapy, I would lock myself away at friends' uh, houses or at home and w- would go back and forth, you know, taking a break in writing because, you know, it's a big, it was a big, it was a big journey. And it is, as, as you describe, I cover a lot of different aspects of my life, my professional life, my marriage, my early family history. Um, and I really wanted to do all of it justice. My parents, my boss, and really for my son. Because in the end, this book is, 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 is really for him. It's for my father and my son is how I best uh, describe, uh, how I describe it. And all the women in my family, the matriarchs in my family, my grandmother, who's the reason I am. I am today. This a really bold, ambitious young woman, and from your grandmother,
0: who ahead of her time was filled with ambition. Going to school was a major undertaking, and she did.
1: That's exactly right. An eight-year-old in 1910, a little girl in India at a time when little girls were not sent to school to be educated. And you know, I think about her a lot. And it's it, it, this notion of how, what was it in her as an eight-year-old girl that just gave her the idea, the intuition, the feeling that she needed to go to school and be educated, and she was. And every time I've gone on a trip or met a, you know, been on Air Force One or traveled to all these incredible spaces and places or been in meetings and been on these incredible campaigns, I really is a testament to the commitment she had to improve her own life and as a result the life of her daughter her children and grandchildren and i'm i'm a direct you know result of that
0: right but isn't it when you think back especially after writing a book like this that mm-hmm. covers everything from childhood mm-hmm. to your amazing family and the loss of your dad much too young and mm-hmm. having to deal with that what a coincidence things are that as a kid 21 years old mm-hmm. to apply as a college intern at the White House, I mean, how does that happen? And the thing is, most people would say, oh, I don't have a shot, and, yeah. you know, nice thought, and let it go. Yeah. But you carried it through, and to your shock, you got the job, which was the beginning of your journey.
1: You know, Joan, I spend a lot of time, which I, and I've really enjoyed doing this, talking to students, and traveling around the country, uh, um, talking to students about Plan, you know their plans and their ambitions and though I always tell them you know I that was a lark I wasn't sure I would get the internship I had a friend who was interning at the White House I was going into my senior year towards Washington University I was studying to be a journalist my ambition was to be Christiana Amanpour I thought I had right. a clear path laid ahead of me and this was sort of presented to me it was really a gift in a way a suggestion from a friend uh, who said, why not apply for the internship? And I did it with low expectations, but I did it, you know, and got it. And the minute I walked in to the White House in September 1996, when Bill Clinton was president and Hillary Clinton was a, you know, barrier-breaking first lady, um, and and it was, I just fell into, it really it became an addiction. It was sort of falling into, I fell in love with public service, with the work in government the the feeling that you could do so much to help people, um, it was an incredible, extraordinary journey that started. That's that all.
0: And the fact that you ended up working for Hillary Clinton, who, mm-hmm. even though in the beginning you said, I didn't know what to do, nor should you or could you have that time, but she was there caring about you and whomever else was in her circle. And you know, to this day, we mourn that crazy election because we yeah. need her and people like you in the political world more than ever.
1: One of the things that, uh, you know, I, I spend I've spent a lot of time talking to people who say, you know, what would you do something differently? Could you if you had gone back? I mean, I, I the notion of not having that ability to walk into Hillary land, which is what We call the environment uh, of, you know, anyone who's been in either in her office or in her environment becomes a member of this club where really it comes from the top down. This idea that she believes that the way we all get better is to have smarter people at the table. There's always more space at the table when you work for Hillary. And and I, I as you mentioned, I was 21. I had no idea what I was doing. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that women who I worked with said was, you really, so much of what you do in life, is just judgment. You know, it's just you either, and, and making decisions and having the confidence in yourself and your capacity to succeed, even when you are scared. And I spent, and I still do spend a lot of my professional life uncertain, and am I going to be good at this? and Am I going to be good at that? The first interview I did was two months ago. It was the first time I spoke really publicly, and I was I was terrified. And, and But I know that Hillary believed I could do it. She's always had that kind of, you know, she has our back, those of us um, who work for her and work with her. And as, as you noted at the, your, the beginning of your question, I do think it was an extraordinary loss for our country that she was not elected president in 2016. There was nobody more qualified, smarter, better prepared than her. She is a problem solver by nature. That is, how she operates. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm privileged to have had this last quarter century of time working with her.
0: So do you think that um, Hillary Clinton is going to be politically active again? We've got midterms. Will <laughs> she appear with candidates? Does she have any ambition? Um, she always has ambition, but the kind <laughs> that she can really use this is such a crazy time in American politics and in American life.
1: It does feel like a crazy time in American politics and American life. I think the pandemic, this global pandemic has threw everyone for a loop and the world that um, any of us anticipated we'd be living in, in a post 2020 world is just not, it just isn't, you know, we were talking about this earlier, this New York, I live in Manhattan and just, still doesn't feel the same as it as it felt pre two thousand nineteen. I think Hillary is on the record as saying she will always be engaged and involved in public service. She will certainly um, help in ways that she can help uh, in the midterms. We've you know she's already been doing a few things for candidates, and she'll continue to do that. And whatever this administration needs to you know in terms of support from her, I think she's only a phone call away. And I'm 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 glad that. Um, she's been engaged privately, um, people calling her for advice and it, it, it is going to be all hands on deck. The, the midterms will be hard. The midterms are always hard but for any than party ever. and harder than ever. I, I, I agree. And in every campaign, I mean, the way I was raised in politics is you run every campaign as though you're losing and, right. and that's just the way to do it. And that's how she ran in 2000. Um and uh and she she she's won some elections and she's lost them as the entire world I think knows. But there anyone who's running into in the midterms is gonna have to approach it that way. And I, I think we all have we're all clear eyed, at least those of us the Democratic Party, that it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be really hard. And uh but you we can either complain and say it's gonna be really hard, what do we do, or just get to work and, and do it. Just get our message out and do it and, and you and get Voters energized. I mean, it's been an exhausting time, and I mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally, um, and so, how do we get people engaged? How do we get people excited? How do we get that's, people energized to go come to the polls? And that's well, that's going to be have, work.
0: Yeah, it's going to be work, and we need um, Hillary Clinton or a Hillary <laughs> whatever out there to get people all excited again, like the virus, which we're so yeah. sick of. We're so sick of these people we elected. Like, what happened to them? It's like they got elected and suddenly worse than we can imagine. And it's not just the other party. It's both parties who have not behaved.
1: Well, this administration certainly, I mean, inherited. They're trying. I mean, it is, it is, there was such, you know, this is obviously my personal opinion, but the, the mess that they inherited um the, the I mean, Joe Biden had his job cut out for him and they uh-huh. are out there every single day doing the best thing they you know how. And here's the thing. The one thing I do know is somebody who's been in politics for, or was in politics for 25 years is many of these people in the administration are people I have worked with. I worked with them in the Clinton White House. I worked with them in the Obama administration. These are qualified people. They know what they're doing. They're true patriots. And they've got a lot of incoming. And so every day it's easy to criticize when you're on the outside. I've been on the inside too. And so to see, to know that there are decisions that they're making that are complicated, I get it. I know it's not easy. I don't envy mm. them. I don't envy anybody who has a job in Washington. Um, but I, I, I obviously will support the work that they're doing. And I, and I, I, I think they're going to, they're going to figure it out when I, I have confidence that it's it's, you know, we have a president who knows what he's doing and he's um, he's doing it at his own pace, and his own way. And we just have to, you know, I, I have faith, but it doesn't no, mean that it's not know, been a hard time.
0: Now, I agree with you. And he has done a lot of very important things. The problem is we're used to yellow screamers as assertive. And he comes yeah. across as very low key and very quiet. So we have to send him to the radio school of speech (laughs) so that you know, it's in your face and it's happening now. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's sort of part of the problem, but let's go back to you today. We're celebrating Huma's new book, her memoir, and it's both slash and it's the story of her coming of age and what happened thereafter and what it's like to grow up in, many different worlds. And interesting that you and your siblings, even though you were brought up in, as I said, several different cultures, you really identify with being American. I would say that's true of all of you, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was born in Michigan. Um, I mean, I have, uh, immigrant parents, Indian father, Pakistani mother, they were both full bright scholars. I met at the University of Pennsylvania, and they did. I mean, they 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 were grateful to have received um, you know a waiver to stay in this country because they, they came from two different countries and countries that were in conflict with each other. It was not so long after the partition of India into East and West Pakistan, so they couldn't actually they couldn't go back to their respective homes. They, this country welcomed them. They were always grateful uh, for that. I was born in Michigan, and and then when I was two, my my father was given. Uh, essentially a terminal diagnosis, a renal failure told he had five to 10 years. And so they went on this adventure. I really am so, so grateful to my parents that they, they took us. We moved to Saudi Arabia. And then every summer, they were both academics. We had the summers off and we would travel all over the world. And sometimes I feel bad. My son will come to me and he'll show me something that he's found on his iPad about tsunamis in Asia. And I think, oh my God, when I was his age, I was walking down the street
0: exactly. from
1: <laughs> and Tokyo and Shanghai. And I mean, we just, we were out in the world. I mean, we did have that gift. And I think it gave me a different perspective, certainly from people around me when I was both at the university and at the White House. And, and I, and it, and, and I, I feel, I hope we can refine that in a world where, Things seem to be so much more either or these days. That's why the book is called Both And, that we have to stay true to our own principles and values and identity. I mean, everywhere we traveled, we traveled as Americans. And I think my parents, you know, decided that for us because they determined that it was the identity that would give us the most freedom to explore our, our, our you know, the, our individuality, our confidence our capacity and belief to do anything. doesn't mean this country is perfect. I think they knew that. Um, but it's certainly the ideals and principles that, you know, it represented to be an American. That's something in the world. And back in the 1990s, I mean, we were the big, we were the sole superpower in the world. Um, it was a different time. But, uh, boy, were we lucky to have lived that uh, kind of life. And, um, I, you know, want to be able to gift my son some of that as he
0: gets older, too. So now now that the book is out and you've had time to talk about it and digest it, and it's like the best shrink in the world, right? When you see your life laid out in front of you, was mm-hmm. that book healing for you? I mean, not that, you know, everyone needs a little healing, but did the book make you come to terms with everything and now have all the energy and strength to go forward whatever path?
1: Oh, you know, Joan, it's almost like you've been in my head uh, for the last few days. It was the greatest therapy, just putting it all, first of all, on the page and having had to have processed it because, you know, I got through a very low place and a very, very low place. Of and course. I think one of the reasons the book has actually connected, um, I'm very grateful for this with some people and particularly during uh, the pandemic is in mental health in particular is has become increasingly a, a topic that's less taboo. I mean, I probably, yeah, there was a lot of pressure for me to write this book earlier, you know, right after the 2016 campaign, or maybe even after the 2008 campaign or right after my marriage fell apart in 2011, but it, it, I needed to do the work. I had to go get professional help. I went to go and see a qualified therapist to help, you know, m- me work, Through that process, I wrote the book, the book came out, and then just talking about it felt amazing. And every time I get a a text message or a message on Instagram or Twitter, you know, I didn't used to be on social media. I have been for the book tour. When I read these messages, I cannot even tell you, it makes, it brings me to tears when I hear other people's stories in America, but also around the world of having to deal with something really, really hard and not sure they can get to the other side. It doesn't mean my healing is complete for, by any means. I mean, I, I think I'll be working on myself for the rest of my life. And, and, and in fact, I was just in uh, Paris uh, for a work trip and I, you know, just got some bad news and I was so, and I found myself like getting back to that place where I was just really sad. Right. And, and, and so, no, it's not, I've done and I've moved on. It's, it's constantly doing the work and, and looking on the bright side and believing in hope. And isn't that what resilience is? You get up every single day and think, okay, today's going to be better than yesterday because yesterday was pretty horrible. Uh, um, I've I'm... had a lot of horrible yesterdays. I've had a lot of phenomenal yesterdays. And I think what I've accepted, and maybe today's the day I needed to be talking to you about this, is that there will still be bad days. <laughs> it's not going to be perfect. But right. I, I am, I am going to believe that there will be more good days than bad days. Of and uh, and, and uh, I'm glad to be able to share that with, uh, with people.
0: And you also had a problem which a lot of people don't have. You were going through literally the worst in public, and yet you had your job, which was 24-7. Yeah. So yeah. you couldn't take the bad, the sad, the angry, the humiliated, on that stage. You had to go do your job no matter what. And you did, yeah. so you couldn't really grieve the way one has to grieve to deal with it. So the book really right. served a very important purpose. Not only a gift for your child to know about the family, you know, beside the other stuff and the history and all yeah. the things that makes one proud. Absolutely absolutely. It gave you an opportunity too to heal as much as one can heal from trauma and
1: stress. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, part of it is, and I write I write this in the book, that I had gotten very good at compartmentalizing so I could have these really awful, horrible personal experiences and conversations, and then we were getting up the next day. It's, it's why the section in the book about the State Department, which is, you know, where I worked um, when everything fell apart, Uh, I share the stories and we were traveling around the world. I mean, she was going to strategic dialogues in China and I was working on that. We were traveling to Africa that week for some important um, diplomatic uh, efforts. So it was very easy to, for me at the time, sort of turn off the switch and my heart is broken because we had, you know, really important things to do. And I share a story in the book about, you know, feeling in conflict about my marriage. And we were on, we had landed, I was walking with a good friend and colleague, Philippe Rhinus, and we had landed in Haiti because there had just mm-hmm. been this earthquake and thinking to Philippe, oh, I'm having some trouble in my personal life. And then looking around me and saying, what is wrong with me? I mean, I have such extraordinary yeah. privilege. You know, I have happening. a man, you know, exactly, who loves me and I have all this uncertainty and look, and look at this devastation. People have lost everything. What is wrong with me? So it was this constant reminder that no matter what, and even today I have that. But even on days I feel bad, I know there is somebody who has it worse than I have it, by far. And, and it, it, it helped me get through it then. And it, uh, it continues. It's a, it's a good reminder to have now. I don't think we should ever feel settled in who we are or what we're doing. I think we should always be working on ourselves. No, we and, can't, um, and That's
0: part of the problem yeah. of the pandemic. Was, you yeah. know, the nothingness for so many people, not willingly, but part of this whole thing we have to learn to step over it now and yeah. energize ourselves and get involved in the world again. And especially <laughs> the political world, it's urgent that we all understand that we have a responsibility. And yeah. speaking of that, have you given thought or had time to give thought to what the next phase will be, or are you letting it happen?
1: You know, I thought I, uh I, I, I the short answer is I think I'm now actively really trying to figure out what it is I want to do when I grow up. I you know mm-hmm. I think Hillary Clinton's always going to be part of my life. I will always you know be there to support her uh, in any way that she needs the support. but I do think at, you know at 46 trying to figure out uh, what what my next um, adventure is going to be. Maybe it'll come to me, but I think more than likely I, I, I think I have to start, getting up and dusting off my resume Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and doing something about it. And I'm hoping to do that actually in the coming weeks.
0: And I know people have talked about you running for office and things like that. And, you know, basically (laughs) you were referred to as a quiet person, always making important (laughs) decisions and things, but in the book you yell out and clear. So maybe (laughs) all the things you thought you couldn't do about running for office, maybe you
1: can do. Yeah, maybe. I I, look, I don't see myself running for office because I only because and this is I this has taken me some years to get to. It's not that I don't think I'd be good. I do think I'd be good. And I think the Puma even of a year ago would have said, I have no idea. I'm not sure. I just know what it takes. I know what it takes Mm -hmm. to run for office. I know the the commitment, the sacrifice of, you know, I'd have to make in terms of my family, my son, especially. And, and it's hard out there and it's only, it's only gotten worse. And I have certainly lived in the cauldron of the nastiness, right. Um, the you know, uh, the worst of the worst. So it's not that appealing to me um, in the moment. Um, and, uh, but, but who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe I will one day. I don't, but I just don't, I don't see it in my cards at the moment.
0: Okay. But, you certainly didn't see being chief of staff of Hillary Clinton I, no. when you were trying no. to figure out who I am and what I want no. to be. Yeah.
1: No, you're right. Actually, Joan, you know, people, somebody said this to me the other day when they were they read the book and they said, it's really interesting. You never advocated for yourself. You just took whatever you were given. Right. And, and made I it thought, work. you know, exactly. And it, that really was an, an aha moment. It was just an interview I did recently and I thought, 100%. I didn't think about it the entire time I wrote the book, but it, it is absolutely right. And maybe this is a female thing, or maybe this is just a me thing, or maybe this is a thing about women who were born in the seventies. Um, I just took whatever was given to me. And I think now I need to shift and say, I want, or I can do this. And, um, and I intend to do that. What it is. I haven't figured that out yet, but maybe you'll have me back on. Well, and by then I'll have. Absolutely. figured it out. Absolutely.
0: But you know what? It's <laughs> like Women have learned no matter what culture we're from how to be the best little girl in many cases, you know, don't complain. Even your beloved father was what he learned to take what was given and made it something extraordinary. So you watch and you do that. But now that you've mastered that, now it's time to go on and say, Hey, you know, beat the drum, pound your chest and go for it. And your kid right. will get it because he's grown up in it and he understands.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. And I want him to, you know, I talk a lot about in the book about how hard it is for women in politics, certainly how right. hard it was for Hillary and what we had to go through, what I had to go through as a Muslim woman of color in politics. So that, you know, it's not very many of me around. And and, and, and the hate and the vitriol that, that, that we had to deal with. And so I, I want to I raise a 10-year-old boy who learns not just to respect women, but not to fear our power. Because I think so much of it is about, you know, how are we raising the next generation? When I was younger and I, uh, when I was a young woman and I, I, you know, that what I I believe was a cliche when Jackie Kennedy did an interview and she said, the most important thing we can do is to raise our children, right? You know, that's, that's single, the most important thing. And I thought, ah, what, you know, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. rolled my eyes a little bit. Didn't have kids. Couldn't really appreciate it but really a hundred percent of it is correct. I mean, you think about some of the actions and the activities that we have experienced the last couple of years, um, particularly as it relates to some, you know, behavior and that includes my ex. What is it about, you know, how we raise our children so that they feel loved and supported and confident and and that it's okay to talk about their feelings. I was raised in a culture where you didn't really talk about your feelings. My mother resisted ever talking to a therapist, even though our whole family is going through the trauma of potentially losing my father. I don't talk to my son that way. I, I encourage him to talk about his feelings and to you know to, to you know to, to allow himself to you know uh, experience that. And I, I think it's just so so important
0: to do it that is. for our children. Without question, I, it's funny, I did the same thing so many years ago. Uh, my mm-hmm. parents always was, you know, follow everything's great. Don't tell the kids anything bad or yep. how you feel or mm-hmm. how you're hurt. And so my poor kids, they heard everything until they were yelling, enough, enough around. <laughs> you know, don't share so much.
1: <laughs> I, think, Just, I think I'm on that path. <laughs> I so, think Jordan's going to be like that too. Enough, enough,
0: mom. I'm right. I, mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> that's it. And then you're going to have to say, it. you know, I used to be quiet, but that's over. Anyway, <laughs> over. there's so much more in the book that we have to talk about. So you're going to come and visit me again. The yeah. memoir is called Both and a Life in Many Worlds. And it's more important than ever to read it with what's going on in the world and go on this incredible journey. And as we say, only in America, the good, the bad. Never-ending opportunities. So here's to the future, Huma. Come visit me again.
1: I look forward to it. I've so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. So thrilled to, Thank be, you. Feel, thrilled to be on your show.
0: I'm grateful. Thanks and say hello to the one and only Mrs. Clinton. We'll do hello. this again. I promise all of you, I'm Joan Hamburg and you're listening to WAVC.